have a unique opportunity to bring Christian FM radio into Boston. Right now there is no Christian FM radio, and we have an opportunity to put a Calvary Chapel-affiliated radio station. And so uh, this does not happen without opposition in the heavenlies, and so uh, time to pray. I will be going up to Chelmsford tomorrow night to pray with a couple other churches who are also interested in bringing uh, Christian radio into the region. And if you would like to join me, I would love to have you join me. So if you are interested, please let me know. The service is at 7 o'clock. It's in Chelmsford, Calvary Chapel, Chelmsford. You can just Google that and, and for the directions if you want to just go on, on your own. But if you'd like to go with us, we're going to be leaving from, uh, from my house at 5.30 tomorrow night. Also, we have, uh, as we usually do, we're taking the summer off with our home fellowships just to give the uh, teachers uh, a break. And it's always refreshing starting them up again in the fall. We will be having a midweek uh, prayer service We'll be uh, announcing the location and time of that soon. Okay, Hebrews, why don't you re rise for the reading of God word, God's Word. It's, we're in chapter 7 of Hebrews, chapter 7 of Hebrews, verse 26. Chapter 7, verse 26, referring to Jesus, says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need Daily, as those high priests, referring to the high priests in the Old Testament, he does not need daily as those high priests who offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary near the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said... See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more 
excellent ministry. Inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, Lord, to fill our heart, our mind, with just the reality of those promises, those better promises, those greater promises, Lord, that you have offered to us freely, Lord, to lay hold of by faith. Father, I just pray for every man, woman, and child in this room, Lord, that you would meet them, that they would know this morning how much you love them, that you would comfort, rebuke, encourage, exhort, Wherever, that whatever the need is, Lord, we know that you're faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So we are making our way through the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews, one of the books in the New Testament, notoriously more difficult to understand sort of in a competition with a book of Revelation in that way. But guess what? You guys are going to be experts by the time we're finished. Hebrews, all right. So verse eight, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 1 begins. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest. What kind of high priest do we have? What? What do you mean, such a high priest? What kind of high priest? Well, we read about that in verse 26 of chapter uh, uh, 7. Our high priest is holy. He is harmless. He's undefiled. He's separate from sinners. And he has become higher than the heavens. Verse 28 continues. For the law appoints his high priest men who have weakness... But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Perfected forever. And so going on into verse 1 of chapter 8, it says now this is the point. uh, uh, This is the main point of the things we're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Now, about 20 times in the New Testament, you see this reference to Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Five of those times are right here in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that when Jesus by himself purged our sin, meaning wiped away our sin... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So now, what, what, what do we do? What do we always say when we, see, when we see something repeated over and over again? What do we do? We ask, why? Why? Why, Lord, are you repeating this over and over again? Why, Lord? Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. What, what's that all about? Why did Jesus sit down at the right hand of God. Answer, the work was done. The work was finished. It was done. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Just a couple chapters up. 
Hebrews 10, verse 1, for the law, having the shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year after year, make those who approach perfect. Now go down to verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this man, referring to Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14 For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified or made holy. So in the Old Testament, there's this picture. If you've ever gone into the Old Testament and read through it, there's this picture of just an enormous amount of activity. Priests just working and working and working continually and, and never, uh, 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 never stopping. You know, uh, the people would bring a sin offering to the priest, the lamb or a bull for people who could afford it, a turtle dove for the poor who could not afford it. And by offering the sacrifice, the person presenting the lamb or the bull or the turtle dove would have their sins covered for that day. So what would happen the next day? They would sin again. Which meant what? They would be back at the temple eventually with a sin offering, which meant what? Uh, what? The priest's job was never done. And, and so the one picture you never see in the Old Testament is a priest at the off, uh, altar offering up a sacrifice on behalf of someone. And after the sacrifice was made, the priest... Uh, uh, saying something like, oh, praise the Lord, no more sacrifices. I can go and sit under a palm tree now for the rest of my life. No, the work was never finished. The work was never finished. It never sh- the sacrifices, they never stopped coming. The work of priests never ceased. It's kept going and going and going, kind of like the Energizer bunny. Just on and on and on and on. Not so, we read in Hebrews, of our great high priest. What were his last words? What did he say on the cross before he died? It is finished. What was finished? All the work necessary for you and I to have a relationship for all eternity with the living God. What was finished? All the sacrifices needed to pay for your sins and my sin. What was finished? Everything that needed to happen for you to rest from your labor, rest from your work, rest from your striving, rest from the religious grind of trying to earn your way into heaven. And that's why Jesus is able to sit down at the right hand of the Father. The work was done. And so you do well to remember, each time you read this phrase, 20 times in the New Testament, sitting at the, Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, just to reflect, to remember why. Why is he sitting? So verse 2 
we read, he, Jesus, is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. I'm sorry, I'm back in chapter 8. Jesus is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. So now this word sanctuary may be referring to heaven itself and the throne of God. But uh, some of you, you may notice a little footnote by that word sanctuary. If you read the footnote, what does it say? It says, holies or holy ones. Could also be translated saints. Now a saint in the Bible doesn't refer to someone, a man or woman, who's on a, a stained glass window in a church. It's anyone, and the, the Bible teaches, a saint is anyone who is a Christian. It literally just means a set-apart one, set apart by God. And Paul begins his letter to the Corinthians, uh, for example. He says, to the saints in Corinth. He's not just referring to the really, really good people in Corinth who would one day be, I don't know, canonized, be, become a saint, and be called Saint Billy or whatever, no, they, he was referring to just all the Christians who live in Corinth. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you are a set-apart one, you're a saint. So verse 2 can read, Jesus is a minister of the saints and of the true tabernacle. Now what do we know also from the, uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says you're the tabernacle or the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are, if you've trusted in Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So you are the tabernacle, which just means dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so who does verse 2 of chapter 8 of Hebrews say is your minister? Jesus is a minister of the sanctuary, meaning you, and of the true tabernacle, which is the tabernacle, it says, that um, was erected, that the Lord erected and not man. God has fashioned you into the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the minister, verse 2 says, is none other than Jesus himself. Now, how often uh, in your life have you just so badly wanted someone, anyone to, to go to who would just accept you just the way you are? How badly, how often in your life have you so desperately wanted someone just to love you just the way you are? Who would never let you down? Who would always be there for you? Well, Jesus is that person. The Word of God says He is your minister. Verse 2, that word for minister just means servant. Jesus loves you. He's your minister. He wants to bless you. He wants to build you up. He wants to strengthen you, empower you. This is what ministers, servants do. He wants to use you for his wonderful purposes. He wants to love you, guide you, protect you, lead you. 
I love Psalm 73, speaking of the minister, our minister, our, uh, uh, the Lord. The psalmist speaking to the Lord says, You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me into glory. So Jesus wants to serve you. He wants to minister to you. He's your minister. We don't often think of Jesus like that, as our minister. And the translator's feeling a little uncomfortable with that word, uh, the, the word servant, which is the little translation, use the word minister. But God is your servant, also your Lord, also your God. But he serves you. That's what the Lord does. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is the minister, verse 2 says, of that temple. Now let's skip down to verse 6. But now he, speaking of Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry. Referring to, this contrasting here to the ministry of the priests in the Old Testament, whose ministry never ceased, it never stopped. It was always this sweat and this grind. You know, sacrificing large bulls and lambs was hard work. In fact, the law said you were, you were required to cool out when you were 50 years old. You could do the easy stuff. I mean, this is hard work, being a butcher. That's what they were. That's what the priests were. But it says in verse 6, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator, just substitute the word minister there, a minister of a better covenant which was established on better promises. You, believer in Jesus, child of God, are living in a different covenant established on, uh, rather a better covenant, a greater covenant established on greater promises. Now again, Never forget the context of this letter written to a discouraged people, men and women, who are in a deep valley of discouragement because of persecution at the time. And so what have we learned? Nothing better you can do for a discouraged person than get them to focus on Jesus. Funny how our knee-jerk reaction with someone who's discouraged, uh, discouraged is sort of to pat them on the back and and help them out in there and continue them on and build them up in their self-pity. But but so important that we f- try to get them to start focusing on Jesus and, 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 and that he is greater. Chapter 1, uh, it says that Jesus is greater than the prophets and he's greater than the angels. Chapter 3 of Hebrews, greater than Moses and the law. Chapters 5 through 7, he's greater than the high, high priest. And so he's just, the writer is just trying to focus them on the Lord to bring them out of their discouragement. You know, I have found that for me, most of the time, my discouragement is the result of me not having something. It's a result of not having something that I want. But when I simply take time to focus on the fact 
that Jesus is greater than that something. My heart is lifted up. So you may be here this morning discouraged. You don't have that man in your life that you so desperately want or that woman or that job, that friend, that financial security that you want, that something, that vacation, that house, that answered prayer. The message of Hebrews to you is that Jesus is greater. Verse 6 says, but now he has obtained, he's obtained for you a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also the minister of a better or a greater covenant which was established on better promises. And so one of the things, important things to understand, this is sort of the ABCs of, of Christianity in the Bible. You've got to understand what a covenant is. What a covenant is. What's a covenant well, a dictionary would tell you that a covenant is a promise or an agreement between two parties. So between a husband and a wife, there's a marriage covenant, a covenant that defines the relationship to stay in the marriage for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness or in health, to love and to cherish till death do you part. We'll be saying that uh, few weeks from now with a couple of you. That's a marriage covenant. And in the Bible, there are really two covenants spoken of. Arguably, there's a few more, but there's really two, supremely, the old covenant and the new covenant. Now, the old covenant found in the Old Testament in Exodus through Deuteronomy is the covenant of the law. The old covenant was based on man's faithfulness to God. You want to read about the old covenant? You can go to a number of places. Deuteronomy 28 uh, is one place you can go. You don't have to turn there now, but let me just read you Deuteronomy 28 verse 1. It starts like this. If, it's a really big word, especially in the Old Testament. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord to observe carefully all that his commandments which I command you today, then the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth and his blessing shall come upon you and they will overtake you. And so then he goes on to say what those commandments are. So if you obey these commands carefully and diligently, then you will be blessed. And then it goes on to say, but if, no two bigger words than those two, especially in the Old Testament, but if you don't obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, then all these curses will come upon you. And then it goes to list all the curses. And you see in the life of Israel all the blessings uh, happening on the people who had obeyed and the curses of the people who had not obeyed, but supremely what happened, what was the problem with the Old Testament, what was it? It was impossible. 
It was so much higher and uh, above what any man or woman could ever accomplish. There were 613 commandments in the Old Testament. I have trouble with two or three. Forget about 613. And it was imp- so it was impossible for any man or woman to fulfill. What else was the problem with the Old Covenant? It depended upon the faithfulness of man. And man by his very nature, we by our very nature, are, are flawed, we're sin, we're, we're weak, we're filled with sin. What else was the problem with the Old Covenant? And listen, this is so important. It was not accompanied with a means to obey it. Laws, regulations, rules, they don't come with the power to obey them. Moses himself recognized that in Deuteronomy. That's just not part of the package of the law. You know, I drop 25, if I drop 25 rules for my kids and nail them on a piece of paper to their uh, door, their bedroom, well, giving them the rules doesn't somehow empower them to obey them. In fact, the Bible says the opposite is the case. The Bible says that the law weakens us. It breaks us down. The Apostle Peter, I love this verse in Acts chapter 15, verse 10, Speaking of the men, men who wanted to force Christians into a, the old, back into the old covenant, he says to them, why do you test God by putting a yoke, a burden of law on the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were ever able to bear? And you, you guys know what I'm talking about. Have you ever gone somewhere... I don't know, a school or a work or a club or whatever, and, and just had a, like a boatload of law dumped on you. I remember last year, Pastor Greg, Pastor uh, Scott and I went on an elders retreat, and we stayed at this house, which was like a bed and breakfast sort of deal, and as soon as we walked in, we were greeted by this sign, and the word no and if I remember correctly, no in, or do not, it was in bold print right down the left side of this big sheet of paper, right? And this is what we were greeted with, you know, no food in the bedroom, no loud music, no late night parties, do not use the dishwasher after midnight, do not use the phone for long distance, uh, do not climb on the roof, don't breathe, you know, sort of deal. And, and this is how we were greeted, and it was just like, oh, Lord, help me, please, you know. Our weekend hadn't, it was just beginning, you know. And to walk in and just be greeted like that, it, it just weakens you. Anyway, that was the problem with the old covenant. It's not that the covenant was bad or that there was something wrong with it. No, Romans chapter 3 Verse 31 says, the, the old covenant, the law is holy, righteous, and good. Why? Because it drives us, it drove the Israelites to long for a better covenant, a greater covenant, a new covenant. And this is why verse 7 says, well, actually, verse 6 ends with Jesus bringing in a better covenant with better promises. And verse 7 says, for if... That first covenant had been faultless. In other words, he's recognizing here, the writer, that there was, it had fault to it. There was something wrong. 
something that we, you know, it was impossible to follow. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So anyway, um, uh, the old covenant, the first covenant was replaced by a second covenant, a new covenant. And this is the covenant brought in by the Lord Jesus himself. And what it, so anyway, what is the new covenant? Well, verses 8 through 12 state what the new covenant is. And this is actually the prophet uh, Jeremiah speaking, uh, speaking, prophesying uh, 750 years before Jesus even came, prophesying about the coming of the, new, of the Messiah and the coming of the new covenant. Verse 8 says, because finding fault with them, meaning the old covenant, God says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Verse 10, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God. They shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none, of, none his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. So I want to just focus in now on verse 10, which is the heart and soul of the new covenant. God says, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. Speaking of the new covenant, I will put my laws on their minds and write them on their hearts. The prophet Ezekiel prophesies in a similar way. In Ezekiel 36, 26, he says this. He says, I will give you a new heart. This is the Lord speaking. And put a new spirit within you. I will put my spirit uh, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Now all this is really heavy. <laughs> this old covenant, new covenant stuff. You know, to me, by far, the most remarkable thing that happened to me in my life 21 years ago when I became a Christian, when I asked Jesus in my life, it's not that I stopped cussing every fourth word. Now, really, I was like that. It was not that I stopped leading a sexually immoral life. It was not that I stopped flying to a fit of anger whenever someone crossed me. No, by far, the most remarkable change that happened to me in my life was what happened to my heart that I actually wanted to obey. I wanted to hear the voice of God. 
I wanted to follow his word. Stephanie and I did something a little crazy last weekend. We took a weekend trip to Ireland. It wasn't the Cape, it was Ireland, six and a half hours away on a plane. And uh, we left on a Thursday night, came back on Monday, and we went to visit Pastor Greg's uncle, his uncle Kevin, Uncle Kevy, who is a uh, dear, dear friend of mine. And Kevin and Emer are involved in a church plant in a town called Skerries, which is about a half hour north of Dublin. And uh, he's the pastor there, and it was wonderful there just to be there for him, to encourage him, to bless him, to see what's going on. I love being able to get behind new works and pastors in that place. Oh, man, can I, can I sympathize for him? In Ireland, boy, is it a missions field out there, rocky soil, so much religion with a capital R. No relationships with God, just religion. That's the, one of the hardest mission fields to be in. But it was just such a wonderful time for Stephanie and I. We actually, 21 years ago, when we after, right after we got married, we hitchhiked around Ireland for two weeks. And just a lot of great memories just being there. But I got to tell you, lots of laughs too. Because Kevin and Emer, to be honest with you, I mean, Kevin is just... He's just a great guy to hang around. He's just, frankly, we were just goofed off a lot, okay, <laughs> just to be honest with you. And one night we uh, were, uh, late one night, we were just finished dinner. It was about 10 o'clock. It's light there at about 10.30, but no one was around, and we uh, came out front, and I had this big old Bible in my hand, you know, out front, and Kevin goes, Kevin wanted to take a picture of me uh, uh, with my Bible uh, out in front of the restaurant, like me going like this. <laughs> so, you know, he, um, he, he goes, now, Stevie, come on, get your Bible. Let me take a picture of you. Go like this. So I did, you know, I, I posed, I went. And so right, right as I was like, this guy walked out of this nightclub, right, and was looking at me. And so I'm like, oh, you know. And the guy goes, are you out of your mind? <laughs> and I said, uh, no. And he goes, is that really a Bible there? <laughs> and I said, well, yes. He says, do you really read that thing? And I, and I went up to him. I said, not only do I read it, look, I got underlines all over the place. And, and he's like, wow, you know, this type of thing. And, you know, we talked to him for, uh, for a little while. And... Um, uh, but I was thinking about that, you know. I actually want to read the Bible. And that was this guy's thing, right? Do you actually read that thing? You know, I, yes, I do read that thing. I, I, and and, and, I, and I want to read this thing. And, the, and, and I, again, what's the new covenant? God puts a, he, he writes his law on our hearts so that we will do them. He wrote his law on my heart and my mind. I remember uh, being saved and actually wanting to go to church. Could you imagine such a thing? I'm wanting to, to go more than once a week. 
wanting to uh, listen to Christian music, wanting to uh, tell people about him. But it's not only things you want, it's the stuff you don't want to do. I didn't want to steal anymore. And I was like a petty thief. You know, in college, I used to go in with my friends with 7-Eleven and just rip stuff off. It meant nothing to me. I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't want to lie. Now, before Jesus, I'm telling you, it meant nothing for me to lie on an application or something. But I just didn't want to do that overnight. Just didn't want to do that anymore. God had written his laws on my heart. I didn't want to cheat. I did plenty of that too. Cheating. Not that it was never a struggle. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says, For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. I'm well familiar with that struggle. But still, the desire to obey the law was there. That is the most miraculous, remarkable thing that happens when a man or woman passes from death apart from God to life with God. The new covenant. The old covenant is based on man's faithfulness. The new covenant is based on God's faithfulness. The old covenant is based on what I must do. The new covenant is based on what Jesus has already done. The old covenant is based on me trying to love God with all my heart, my mind, and my soul. The new covenant is based on God loving me. The old covenant is based on me trying. The new covenant is based on the Son of God dying. The old covenant is based on my strength. The new covenant is based on his strength, on him writing his law on my heart. Verse 10 again says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and, I, and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. In other words, the light will turn on. It won't just be the priests, or the Levites, the religious people. The least to the greatest will know me. Verse 12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. The Bible says that when I come to Christ, believing what he did for, on the cross for me, believing that it is finished, all the work that was necessary for me to have an everla- everlasting relationship with God is finished. It's finished. By nothing that I can do or have done or ever will do, God saves me from hell and destruction. He gives me the Holy Spirit to empower me to live for him, and he remembers my sin no more, verse 12 says. Don't remember that one as a kid, that thing about God not remembering my sin. Not that he forgets it. But he remembers it no more, meaning he doesn't bring it back up to you. He doesn't dangle it in front of your face. He doesn't uh, tie it to your ankle and make you carry it around. I don't seem to remember anything about that growing up in churches. 
The new covenant is a covenant not of law but of grace. What is grace? Getting what you don't deserve. A new heart with his love written on it. A new mind with his laws written in it. A a new life with his spirit in it. And our life, again, not, not about performing for him. It's about responding to what he has already done in our lives. The Bible says he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Is faithful to complete it. Verse 13. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Meaning we can stop performing, we can stop working, we can stop trying to add to what the Lord has done. We can come to church not based upon what we, how we've been this past week, how we've been today, whether or not we kicked the dog, yelled at our wife, or whatever. We can come to church based simply upon what he has done for us. And then he goes on, now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And you know, growing as a Christian means that that old covenant, the seeds of which are in every man and woman trying to work and perform for God, is vanishing away. Maturity in the Lord is all about how much you are allowing God to put away what is vanishing away and walking on what is new. So after the service, there'll be some folks up here to pray with you if you need prayer, if you feel like this morning listening here that you're doing too much working, too much performing, too much striving, and too little trusting. And what the Lord has already done and what he's promised to do in you now, come up for prayer. You know, that's what the body of Christ is for. We are a family that needs to be praying for each other. Let's thank God what he has done this week. Let's respond to him and his love for us this week. Even as the old covenant is vanishing away from our lives and the new is being ushered in. Let's stand as we close with a worship song. I'll pray as the worship team comes up. Father, I thank you for this. I thank you that the the old is vanishing away and you're ushering in the new into our hearts. I thank you, Lord, that what you have began, you're faithful to complete. Father, help us. Help us see Jesus. Help us see that he's greater. He's greater than the prophets, greater than the angels, greater than the priests, greater than religion, than law. And his promises to us are greater promises. Father, we confess we need to live out those promises. Give us the grace, the faith to live them out, Lord. To lay hold of them. Father.
Father, we love you. We love you, Lord, in that while we, your word says that while we were yet enemies of God, sinners, that you died for us. While we were shaking our fists at you, you were dying for us. We thank you for that, Lord, the new covenant. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We're going to sing uh, the song Enough. I think it's really fitting for the, the uh, going along with the message, you know, thinking about what, you, uh, what uh, Steve had said about Jesus being greater, better. You know, he's enough. So um, you join us. We'll start with the chorus. And all of you is more than enough for all of me for every thirst and every You're more awesome. You're more awesome than I know. You are my reward. You're more awesome than I know. And all of you is more than enough for all of me. For every thirst and every need, you satisfy. You're my sacrifice, the greatest prize, but still more awesome, still more awesome than I know. You're my coming king, you are everything, still more awesome than I know, and all of you is more than enough for all of me.
is more than enough for all of me for every thirst and every need you satisfy me with your love and all I have need is more than enough and all I have in you God bless you as you're dismissed. And if anyone need prayer, there'll be a couple people up front to pray with you.